This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the host of today's show, Ramya Amuthan. Some of us, I think, have forgotten that we are getting into the colder weather. I mean, technically, it's not winter yet, but. The temperatures we were experiencing over the weekend in, at least in our part of Ontario, and uh, even talks a snow flurry. Whether you were out there for the snow or not, the temperatures and the talk of snow is jolting me back into the reality that, oh yeah, yeah, it is November, we are halfway through the month, and soon... It's not just going to be talk of snow, but it's going to be winter boots, winter coats, and toques, and all the rest. Margaret Weldon, who's joining me on the show today. Margaret, do you do you love or are you ready for the winter weather? Well, I like the winter right up until the Christmas holidays. And once the Christmas holidays are done, I've kind of had enough of it. You know, because because the, the snow brings <laughs> right. out and 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 we really do need some winter weather for this coming Sunday, because it's the Toronto Santa Claus Parade. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty early. I always think that. I always think with the Santa Claus parades, and we've talked about a couple, not just in Ontario, but uh, Newfoundland and other places coming up in November and you know early December and such. But it, it feels so early. However, that means you feel like the seasonal festivities are longer and longer and which is why January feels extremely long without it right I feel that way like there's two times where I feel um it's like to me it's kind of almost uh a mystery time well in in, in between times um it's after mm-hmm. Thanksgiving and between the period of after Thanksgiving and Christmas time you know it's too late to say to to uh, you know feel like summer and it's too early to say feel like winter or have Christmas parties or anything and so right. you're just kind of waiting. And then, of course, when January comes around, I'm like you. Between January and March, I actually, once February comes around, things begin to pick up, I think. But the pick month of January is always, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 But it's the all the fun from December, late November into December, leading up to New Year's, and then dis, uh, the rest of January feeling like, now what do we do? And that's why January feels the longest, no matter what. But, yeah. hey. Regardless, I mean, you know, I like your thought, Margaret, because there's something to focus on, the the good times of festivities, hopefully spending time with your friends or family or winter activity, you know, sports and recreation, getting out there and doing some skiing or skating or other kinds of uh, fun ways to spend your time so that it doesn't just feel cold and dark. Oh, and listen, there's all that eating and drinking that you do in the winter too, right? Like the of hot course. chocolates or the, or what, what's your favorite? I know you like soups in the wintertime. Soups and chilies. I'm I'm a yeah. huge fan of food in the cold weather. The all the carbs, you know, bring it on, and yeah. um, definitely hot cocoa. Hot oh cocoa yeah, yeah. Sure. And with with the marshmallows, right? With the little gotta have the marshmallows. marshmallows. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll we'll make our way down the list of contributors and find out who loves the marshmallows and their hot chocolates, and maybe some of them get really fancy. But let's first tell everybody what's coming up on today's show. Okay. 
Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone, our AMI podcast, is giving us a weekly sports update in a bit. And Becky Zarr is going to drop by a little later on to talk about her new podcast, Raising Kindness. I mean, my goodness, Remy, there's always so many things going on with AMI, isn't there? Absolutely. Lots of podcasts. On Know Your Rights, which is a Monday staple, Danielle McLaughlin is discussing measures to end slavery in the U.S. and Canada. This is modern slavery. There's a few things she's going to get into uh, as it pertains to 2022. We're still having these conversations. Now, other things are going on. Not so great news, but I guess some things to look forward to when it comes to our technological companies. Google has agreed to settle privacy claims bought by 40 United States states. Google agreed to pay nearly $400 million after an investigation by 40 states found Google tracked users' locations even when they said not to. It violated consumer protection laws by misleading millions of users into thinking they could limit Google's ability to track their movements by adjusting certain settings. Connecticut Attorney General William Tong called the settlement a historic win for consumers in an era of increasing reliance on technology. It requires Google to be more transparent about how it stores location data, which is how the search engine targets ads to consumers. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. Well, 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 I mean... Nobody said that Google Google was the most secure platform and service provider out there and therefore how shocked we are. No, I don't I don't think we're really in that boat anymore because uh, we're finding out about a lot of companies kind of keeping things under wrap and taking our information, our location services, our privacy and, and information that we've shared with them. But anyway, nonetheless, I do think that it is progressive that we're challenging those norms. We're challenging the idea that uh, giant companies, tech giants specifically, uh, can take our information, do what they will with it, and sell it, store it, distribute it, whatever. And we're just supposed to kind of accept that to be the normal thing. Margaret, I I do believe strongly that if we're going to rely, as this clip said, is we're, if we're going to rely more and more on technology to do everything, to store everything on um, our entire identities and information, then there needs to be some accountability on their end when they say we don't, this doesn't go past us. I agree with that 100% there. I I, I really, I, I really do. But then how do you come up with that balance, right? Because Sure, mm-hmm. they should have accountability, but then how many, how much information about you or your per- personal situation do you want to put in? You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if there's something really private, right. don't put it in there. <laughs> I guess is all I can say. And, but, and and the question is, where does it go then? Right? Like, as so yeah. much of our lives have become cloud storage and device stored, and in not even to mention for accessibility reasons why so many of us pick the digital route. Um, but you're right. Where does it go? And do we need to, to to use these services to put up our uh, information? And the other thing is, I wanted to ask you what you think about this aspect of money, you know, this huge payout because of this lawsuit. Um, do you think that's enough of an action plan? I I, I don't know if I, th- I have mixed feelings about it, Ramya, because for me, technology is not invincible, right? There's there's nothing perfect about it. And the same with the privacy points. There's nothing perfect about them either. It doesn't matter if it's Google or Rogers, but yeah, I, I guess it's a good start. I guess that's yeah. what I would say. Well, and, 
at least we can presume that if one company like Google being as huge as it is has to spend all this money to kind of make it right quote um then maybe other companies can understand that yeah we're not just going to sit around and and let this stuff be okay and make a bigger deal out, out of it and therefore others don't want to they want to avoid coughing up that money hey but, can i add one you know, point can i add one point mm-hmm. it if uh, it, it might just you know be a good example for a certain canadian technical company to follow the one that you know went down yeah. in the summer yes that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We'll see. We'll see how they take it. Anyway, we'll pause there and go for a break, a couple minutes, and then we're going to talk to Michael Babcock. He's using his Mac computer full time, and he's going to share um, tips on how he's been optimizing experience with the iOS and Mac OS. We'll be right back with that on Kelly and Company. This is Kelly and Company, and it's a Monday afternoon, so I'm sure you're just starting off your week. We appreciate you joining us on Kelly and Company to start off your week. And remember that you can get a hold of us. You have some comments on whether you like uh, tiny, teeny, tiny marshmallows in your hot chocolate. Let us know. 1-866-509-4545. And if you leave us a message that you'd like us to play on air, please give us permission to do that. Feedback at AMI.ca is our trusted email address. You can send us your emails that way, written feedback of any kind. And on Twitter, the handle is at AMI Audio. Starting off the week with me, Ramia Amuthan, is Margaret Weldon. And like happens every Monday at this time, it's time for another Tech Talk with Michael Babcock. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Well, I am doing great. And the two of you? We're doing just fine, thank you. But I have a question for you, Michael, before we start anything. How are you liking your stand-up desk or your standing desk? I am loving it. Uh, We're going to have to get some bump dots or something to put on the surface because there's touch-capacitive buttons that raise and lower the desk. Now, I have figured out where those buttons are, but every once in a while, my desk will go up when I mean for it to go down. So, you know, that's always a fun adventure. And then uh, it's got a drawer, so I can, it, it sounds like a little thing, but I have a drawer so I can clean off my desk and just throw everything in there. Well, that's good, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's always nice yeah, to have one of those. Yeah, it makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah, and, that's and, right. And, and it also has a built-in charging pad, so I can just set my phone down and then a couple of USB ports Fancy. on the side. So uh, all of my electronics are, are charged and ready to go, and I don't have any problems. I will tell you guys, you know, automation is great, and automating what you're doing is great until you automate turning your phone off so you don't get interrupted and then <laughs> you're expecting a Phone call. Uh, uh, so, so I got to fix some of that automation. That's why you guys going to get a hold of me at first. <laughs> well, there's always okay. exceptions to the rule, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Besides, it's Monday. Yeah. <laughs
Yeah, so uh, we went to Seattle a couple of weeks ago, and on our way up to Seattle, my wife ended up getting the new MacBook Air, and so that meant that I ended up with her MacBook Air, or of course, we just have one sitting around, so why not use it? And my experiences have been fairly pleasant with it, a lot better than I thought they would be, because what I found myself doing when I used the MacBook in the past with macOS is I would rely on, you know, jumping over to the Windows computer because I had it and I was more comfortable there. Well, I sent the Windows computer upstairs to one of the boys and they're able to to play their games on it and do what they want. But that means that the end result of that is I have to use the MacBook and not rely on Windows for tasks that I can do on the Mac, but I don't. I, I'm not patient enough to learn, uh, so I've I've been able to do that. And then it also helps that Demasi has started with us at AT guys, and he's a Mac user himself. And so I'm teaching him teaching him how to do things in order to to get the job done on the Mac, and that's forcing me to use them use it as well. Wow! Eh? Yes, yeah. nothing like collaboration to move platforms and make it easier, at least. So Wired release an article with 27 apps to inc uh, increase productivity uh, or improve, sorry, on the Mac. So can you share some of these tips with us? Yeah, so a couple of the apps that they've released um, that I've heard of, and I've used some of them, and also I use alternatives to them as well, uh, one of which is called Amphetamine, which is an app that will allow you to not have to, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, keep touching your mouse or pushing a button to keep your computer awake while it doesn't update or something. Um, so that, that seems to be less needed now, but if you're running command line tools or you're doing other tasks that need your computer not to go to sleep, but only for this time, you don't want to change the power settings, you can use a tool like Amphetamine to uh, keep your computer awake as long as you need it to do. Uh, there is an AdGuard. I don't use AdGuard myself, but it is a tool that will allow you to block Hmm, I think we were talking about privacy in the first segment, block privacy tracking tools and advertisements across the web. I use a, a, an alternative to that, that that runs on the Raspberry Pi. Alfred, which is something that I have heard a lot about and I've tried it a couple of times and I just haven't been able to be successful with it, will let you search your computer and quickly launch different actions based on what the community has created. LibreOffice is another tool they mentioned that's an alternative to Microsoft Office. We talked about that last year, and it is uh, giving you the ability to be flexible with the types of files that you open and create. A uh, tool that I heard about that I have uh, that I heard about when I was reading this is Highland 2, and it's created for screenwriters or screenplays, and it's a plain text editor to help you being able to get that. Couple more apps I want to mention: a dark noise, which allows you to build out your own audio environment. Just a quick tip: uh, dark noise will let you mix up to 50 different sounds. Apple has added to the accessibility under hearing in the latest operating systems. Actually, I think it came out last year. The ability to have different noise profiles playing to help uh, with eliminating distractions and other elements uh, on the 
Mac OS and iOS. And then last two that I will mention is VLC Media Player. That's what I use to listen to a lot of my media that's not in Apple Music. Uh, and then there is Hazel, which is used for file management. And I use that tool myself because it will let me set up a rule that says, hey, if this file has the text AMI in the title, move it to my AMI folder no matter where it gets rendered to from Reaper. So a uh, pretty cool tool that, that will help you with file automation. Okay, so now we've got an idea of what apps you're using that are on the list. What apps do you use that are not on that list? Certainly. So my alternative to uh, Alfred is LaunchBar, probably my most favorite app, and that allows me to quickly search for different files or perform different actions on those files or on the Mac. Uh, I also am using a, well, I'm using drafts in alternative to LibreOffice, and I use Parcel in alternative to Deliveries, which is another app that they recommended. They recommend Dashlane for password management, and longtime listeners know that I use 1Password. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I am using a alternative to the AdGuard, which is a Raspberry Pi tool that I've installed um, that is, it allows you to edit the way that your ads are shown, if any are shown, and edit the tracking that's done for you across the web. But that applies to your entire network and not just on your computer. Okay. Okay, that's good to know, too, as an aside. So Apple Insider shared a tip for customizing keyboard shortcuts on the Mac. This is probably very crucial, especially for screen reader users. What are some of the tips that they shared? So the biggest tip that they shared is don't reinvent the wheel. If you might think that a keystroke exists, check the help documentation of the app or check in the keyboard shortcuts under system preferences on older versions of macOS or on Ventura at system settings. And go to keyboard and see if there's a shortcut that's already available to, to perform the action that you're looking to do. And then the other thing that they had mentioned is if you are trying to create a shortcut that doesn't work with the app. So, for example, if you want the mouse to move to a certain point in the app and click, you can use some third-party tools that would give you additional functionality with your keyboard, uh, again, that might not be available in the native app that you're trying to control with your keyboard. Lastly, uh, don't overcomplicate keystrokes. As we who use screen readers know, sometimes there's a lot of keystrokes. So if you if you can do what you need with just one or two actions that and you're able to do it all from the keyboard, that's fine. But don't make it to where you're trying to look up every time. What's that keystroke to be able to search this app again? <laughs> I don't remember because then you're spending more time looking up what the keystroke is than actually using it. Yeah, right. Now, you wanted to share um, a tip for an ex using an external keyboard and maybe some other tips for improving that experience, Michael. What were they? Yeah, so go to system preferences if uh, on an older version, again, system settings on Ventura, and then go down to keyboard. Then go to modifier keys, and you can choose the command option or control keys, and those are all pop down, pop drop downs, uh, pop ups that you can choose the different functionalities. So, for example, on this external keyboard that I have, it mapped the 
what I see as the option key to my command key. So it was the second button in from the space bar, not the first one. So I went in and I chose option and then I changed the option key over to command. And then I changed the command key over to option and, and swapped those around. So you have a lot of flexibility with the way that your keyboard is laid out. And then remember, you also can go into your voiceover preferences if you're a voiceover user and go down to the general tab and choose the modifier and either use control option or caps lock or both. I've actually recently switched to just the caps lock because a lot of web apps or other tools use the control or control option to be able to uh, have their own specific modifiers. So now my, my voiceover key is the caps lock key. Oh it's interesting, right? Because as you said, at one point, you can do a lot, like if you're comfortable and you're getting to know your own workflows, you can do a lot with just one or two keystrokes, getting to know your own workflows, um, and or there's a gazillion things out there that you can learn to utilize, which is really, really interesting. One, with your Mac, one yeah, key, go ahead. Uh, one keystroke that has been very helpful that I'm, I'm sure Romeo uses it and hopefully a lot of other Mac users use it is VOI for the item chooser. Because when I'm in yes. Zoom, I don't want to press tab or VO right arrow to get to the join. I know the button's called join, so I just do VOI, J-O, and right there, I'm on the join button so I can join mm -hmm. a Zoom meeting. Absolutely. And that helps me in a lot of a lot of apps. <laughs> Um, Michael, in your Mac or on your Mac, you're using Parallels for Windows Access. How's the experience so far? First of all, I blame Stephen Scott for this wholeheartedly that I'm using Parallels. Um, so not thank him, blame him. Fair Yes, yes. Not thank him, blame him, because, you know, he, he causes me to spend money just like we cause him to spend money. It's, right. it's, it's turnabout, you know. So yeah. uh, Parallels has been a pretty pleasant experience. And the more I use it, the more I realize how nice it is. I used to use VMware Fusion, but right now that is not officially supported on the ARM-based Macs, which I have the M1 Mac. And uh, I, I so I was able to, you know, get in there and set it up. I did have to use a third-party tool called VO. OCR, which takes a picture of the screen and does OCR on that image. And then you can navigate that with your control option up and down left and right arrow keys and be able to click on different elements because the screen was not accessible for me to get it set up. I did use Ira the first time and then I learned about VOCR and that has, has changed my experience with using Parallels. And the other thing is, is I realized yesterday, even though I've been using Parallels for about a month, month and a half now off and on, that because Parallels uh, file structure is integrated with macOS file structure, so if you download a file it goes to your downloads folder on the Mac side of things. I can use tools like Hazel to keep my files organized while I'm working inside of Windows. Now, what do people need to be aware of in addition to the um, inaccessible setup experience? If your keyboard doesn't work the way you expect it to, mainly for using an external keyboard, you may need to go into the system preferences or system settings on the Mac side of things, change some keys around, or realize that par Parallels has its own functionality to control the keyboard and give you functionality on that keyboard. Wow, sounds like a lot. Michael, Mm -hmm. yep. Just before we go real quickly, what uh, screen reader are you using on Windows 11? 
NVDA and occasionally JAWS 2023, which does have ARM support, so it will work. And then uh, I, I do fall back on Narrator to be able to get tasks completed fastly. My goodness, that's a lot to keep track of. All right, Michael, I guess that's um, all for today. We'll uh, listen. We'll uh, join you next week for another Tech Talk, and lots of luck with your standing desk and your new Mac. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You guys have a great rest of your show. Thank you. That was Michael Ta Michael Babcock, and he'll join us next Monday at this time for another Tech Talk. After the break, we're checking in with Brock Richardson. He brings our month or weekly sports update on Mondays. We're chatting a little bit of wheelchair basketball and sitting volleyball, along with a couple of other things. So we'll be right back on Kelly and Company. You can catch The Pulse, new episodes released every Thursday uh, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio, as well as the airing of The Pulse at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. So this week, Joita Gupta, the host of the show, talks to disability advocate and lawyer, a very familiar uh, name in our community, David Lepofsky, about what needs to be improved in Bill C-22, which is the proposal of the Canada Disability Act. So it's going to be a very, very interesting conversation. We already know uh, that's The Pulse on AMI-audio, and it's available as a video or audio podcast afterwards, but this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific. I'm Ramya Amuthan here with Margaret Weldon, and it's time for us to chat sports as we do every Monday with the host of The Neutral Zone, another AMI podcast, Brock Richardson. Brocky, how's it going? Pretty well, thanks. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. well. We're it was really lovely having you MC the uh, OBSA Gala, the Ontario Blind Sports Association Gala on Saturday in Brantford. I was telling people of Now with Dave Brown that it was fantastic, uh, not just to hear your voice and you do your thing, but uh, to have the inductees and hear from them, the presenters, uh, also catching up with people for some of us who haven't seen each other in a while um, at these special events. Did you have a good time? I did. I certainly did. It was so much fun to uh, MC the event. The last time we did it was 2019, which I was alongside Kelly McDonald doing 50-50 uh, and this year, Kelly said, nope, you can do it solo. So I did it solo, yeah. and it was fun, and I got to play with the crowd a little bit. There was a remark about uh, diets and goalball having a diet of pizza and uh, some other junk Chocolate food. Milk. I can't remember it. Chocolate <laughs> milk, that was the other one. And, uh, and I said to the crowd, I said, well, I retired out of bocce because I couldn't do that, so maybe I should uh, should get into goalball. So I'm still considering this couple of days removed yeah. from the event but all in all very yeah. uh very good event and congratulations to all the award winners and we will eventually have some of them if not all of them trickle out through the neutral zone so Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to the conversations and we heard many, many wonderful things from our inductees uh, over the weekend and the appreciation that, appreciation that they were showing to AB, uh, OBSA as well as sport, like what sport has brought to them in value in their lives. All right, Brocky, other things on the table to talk about today. What do you have for leadoff items? 
So I have two leadoff items, and we'll start with the uh, wheelchair basketball event that was held between Canada and the Netherlands. This is all in a warm-up for their upcoming World Championships. It was a four-game series against the Netherlands. The first two games were an exact replica of each other, except reverse. So it was uh, 75-73 for the Netherlands, the first game. The second one was 73-75 for Canada. So exact same score reversed in the first two. And then the third one, uh, Canada played their under-23 team in the Netherlands and won 53-42. And then the last game, we know that Canada lost. However, we don't know the final score because um, they're they're having some challenges with uh, social media at the moment. So uh, we don't know the final score, but one of their teammates uh, did post to me that they lost that last game, but we don't remember what the score was according to that teammate. So when you play so many games, guys, it's hard to remember uh, what each individual score was. So that's wheelchair basketball. Secondly, we're going to talk about the sitting volleyball world championships. The men and women had games in this tournament. The men did not make it to the quarterfinals. The women made it to the uh, finals and they lost to Brazil Three nothing in sets. So that's your Paris sport update. Okay, Brock. Now, obviously, second place is good, right? But as a former athlete, can you talk about some of the challenges maybe that um, second place can bring on? Well, as a former athlete, we always considered uh, second place the first loser. And the reason of that is because when you get second place, you play in the gold versus silver game and when you get silver you unfortunately lose the game when you play in the bronze medal game you become the victor of the bronze medal as opposed to losing the gold medal game so sometimes margaret that is really hard to swallow when you lose that gold medal game and you've had such a good run and uh, such good time with your teammates and you just you're so close and it's like ah we were almost there but mm-hmm. not quite it's like something that's just been kind of pulled right away from you, right? Just something that's yes. like that you feel it's just come along and goodbye, snatched it right out of your hand, right? Exactly, one hundred percent. So, yeah. yeah. There was um, an excerpt, like I'm thinking of a moment from Victoria Nolan's memoir, and she's a blind rower, and she was describing that exact thing, coming in silver, uh, and, and it's an eye shade, like she has to wear eye shades during her rowing, um, the the competition, and. Right at the end, she heard the crowd cheering, whipped off her eye shades just to realize that they were not even uh, a foot, like not even six inches behind the winning boat. So, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely yeah, and, something. And you do, you do end up, you know, at the end of the event when you're at a world championships, you do recognize, hey, we, we were, you know, the second best in the world because... A world championship, yeah. aptly named, is usually, you know, most of the world countries that have uh, athletes in any given sport. But in that moment, you just feel like, and you guys both illustrated it very well, it's like, oh, it was there, and then it wasn't. And it, mm-hmm. in the moment, it really takes so a, a, a few days and sometimes weeks, and then you go and you look at your medal, you know, your, your medal closet, if you will, and you say, man, we were second place at the uh, world championships, and... This is this is good news. So, yeah. 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 Definitely definitely is. 
Brocky, bring us up to speed with Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving. Oh boy. Uh, okay, so last week <laughs> he uh we I brought to you guys last week that he was involved in uh the the backing of this movie, which I'm not gonna name because there was some uh racial connotation in the movie. Uh and he went on social media backing this movie. Uh, Then it came out that the Brooklyn Nets, after many, many, many meetings, have said, listen, we're going to suspend you uh, for five games. There was really nothing outlined at the time when they suspended him as an organization. And then over the weekend, uh, what came out was the following thing. Apologize and condemn the film he supported. Donate 500000 to and hate a hate organization, um, complete sensitivity training. That one, I'm going to, I underline this one on my notes. I believe that all athletes should complete some level of sensitivity training, period, end of story, full stop. I don't think it takes a situation where you need to do something wrong in order to complete sensitivity training. I think you should be doing it from the word go and, I, I like this one, um, but I think it should be done for all athletes in any situation. And then the last one was meet with Jewish and ADL leaders. So, so those are what the Brooklyn Nets have put on him before he can return to the organization. Now, How long was the suspension? Did you mention? It was five, five, five games. games, which ended on Saturday. Mm, okay. So, And we don't yet know whether he will return I haven't seen it as we're recording this or talking about this live. I haven't seen whether he returns, and so far, it's no. Okay, now, I agree with you about the sensitive training, Brock. I think, you know, athletes should do it. But do you feel that, in general, the conditions were fair? I I think that most of them were fair. And like I said, I underlined the sensitivity training one. uh, And, I, you know, that's just one I believe that should be done. Um, the, the one that I kind of go, "Mm, I'm not sure you can do this, although it's a good thought and I would love him to do this is donating 500,000 to, uh, hate crime organizations. I I just not sure whether you can justifiably say someone that's earned their hard, hard money can say you must donate your own money to something that you've you've done i i think you should but i don't know if you can really force people to put their own money into something if he simply doesn't believe it and obviously not because he hasn't done the first thing and apologize and say look i messed up plain and simple so to get a guy like kyrie irving to donate five hundred thousand, i'm just not sure and i i don't know if they're going to be able to get this done. And Remy, I'm curious what you would think on the whole donating mm-hmm. your money. I get the gesture, but I'm not sure about the action being completed. Yeah. I mean, to be frank with you, I don't know that there's any organization out there that is like their reputations on the line, their uh, public images on the line that wouldn't 
have these kind of compliance rules and regulations put out, like set out for somebody to say, okay, you really messed this up for our our entire organization, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so you got to make it up to us. And we're only bringing you back if you decide that you are going to comply. And because we're hearing about it, we can critique and scrutinize and say, well, is it really fair? Is it not fair? But I mean, don't many organizations do this? Like if you were associated with something, with some company, uh, whether it be media or sports or some other entertainment, a record label, whatever, you would probably be given similar rules, similar conditions, I guess, um, to be like, we got to make this up. You got to reverse this. And it's not easy. And yes, I agree with you that I'm not sure that they can force him to do anything. But if he still hasn't apologized and condemned this movie and his participation in it, well, maybe he's wondering if this is a route that he's going to take. Yeah. And I just want to be clear. He had no participation in the actual movie. It was more Mm -hmm. of a I condone this on social media. So I don't want people thinking, you know, sure. Kyrie was, was in this movie. So in that but, case, but the, we're, we're basically tempering our, our, we're wondering if we should temper our reactions to how they've decided that he needs to handle it. And the thing is this, and, and this is the truth. If, if I, uh, working as a, as a contractor, uh, alongside AMI, if I had done something to offend this audience, the neutral zone audience, now with Dave Brown, and someone said to me, you know, obviously not five five hundred thousand because newsflash, I, I don't make that kind but of money. But here are your but, conditions, right? But here are your conditions, and if the first one is apologize, well, to me, my reaction is, well, no guff, you messed up, you you offended said situation, you need to do this, and if it. If I felt good in my shoes and said, well, I'm going to donate the money that I make uh, for any given show because this was the one that I offended, I I would do Mm -hmm. it. But we're not even at the point where he's willing to apologize, let alone someone saying to him, you got to open up your your wallet and pull out $500,000 and sorry about your luck, but that's just where we are. And it's like, uh, I'm not sure how easy it's going to be. If I was Kyrie and wanted to continue in in the nba and wanted to do this yeah i i would do it but he just stands firm in what he did and how he acted and this is now the conditions that lay in front of you and i think guys the the nba the nba as a whole is gonna stand by this it's not just the brooklyn nets yeah he's the he's that's the what i that... think the bigger problem is and if so... he decides he's no go for any of these conditions or some of you know which he says he doesn't believe he needs to do that um, in order to prove himself sorry, well, the the question is, are any other teams going to stand for that? That's other right. And I think organizations as the NBA. And I think the commissioner will eventually stand and say, if he's not willing to do this for the one organization, I, as the commissioner, am going to mandate until you do such actions, then yeah. no one's going to welcome you because as the NBA as a whole doesn't stand for what he did. So that's going to be the basis of what's going on yep. here and and that's the truth and i don't and know about sticky, you guys and it's oh sorry yeah, yeah. Go, ahead. go ahead yeah i don't know about you guys but if i was apo- being apologized because somebody told me or some you know company told me i had to you know i am apologize if i were receiving that apology i'd kind of wonder are you really sorry or are you staying on like i know it sounds mean and i know it sounds exactly. cynical but that's kind of the way i i feel 100%, about it. Though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. right 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he definitely has to weigh out his options. Rocky, we got to go, but really quickly, what's coming up on the next edition of the Neutral Zone? Uh, we're talking to Katie Mitchell, who is uh, got her PhD in concussions, and she's going to have a conversation, and we're going to take that conversation and spin it into about disability and concussion, how treatment plans may differ or not differ for individuals who are athletes with a disability. So really great conversation coming up uh, tomorrow on video and pod and AMI-audio. Love it. Thanks, man. Have a good week. Thank you. You can check out Brock Richardson and the gang out on the Neutral Zone Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and available on YouTube, as he said, as a video podcast. Taking a break, and after this, we're checking out Raising Kindness. Talking so much AMI today, uh, this is an, this is a podcast with Becky Zar and her son, Bennett. We'll be right back with that. This is Kelly and Company on a Monday afternoon. Thanks for starting your week off with us, us being myself, Ramia Amuthan, and Margaret Weldon. So we dedicate this spot on Mondays around this time before the second hour to talking about AMI. And that's because there's always something new going on at AMI and we want to keep you posted on new content, new initiatives. And we're making our way down the list of AMI original podcasts, um, specifically podcasts that are now offered as a video podcast on YouTube. And most of these were uh, released in September, but we're still making our way down week by week. And today's highlight is Raising Kindness with host of the show, Becky Zarr. To give you a little bit of context, in Raising Kindness, Becky and her son Bennett perform acts of kindness in shelters, community centers, and nursing homes across southern Saskatchewan. And Becky's here to tell us much more about the podcast than just the headline. Becky, nice to have you on. Oh, it's such a thrill to be back and chatting with you, Ramia. Thanks for the invite. It's always fun chatting with you, too. And I want to ask you right off the top, who came up with the idea um, of the title of the show? Can you can you give us some insight on that? Was it you? Was it Bennett? Was it somebody else? <laughs> well, honestly, it was mostly me. Um, I was given the opportunity to put together um, a new podcast and Andy left it open for me. And so it was kind of coming up with something that I was really interested in and passionate about. And I wanted it to be honestly completely different than the previous podcast I did, The the Blind Reality. Um, Not that I'm not proud of it. I'm very proud of it. I just wanted to show a different side of me. And Mm -hmm. anybody who's got to know me over the years knows that I adore our 12-year-old son, Bennett. And so I was looking at a way to incorporate you know, him into um, the action as well. And so um, the title itself, I have to say that was Bennett that came up with that for the most part. Um, We were throwing around a whole bunch of different ideas and that was the one that stuck. And I think we're both happy with it right now. I love it. I really love it in the context of the show um, as a title on its own. It's very thought provoking. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I want to ask you, Becky, because 
like you said, through uh, your previous podcast and through conversations that we've had with you on the show, we've gotten to know your story, right? Learning about you, um, you in your your previous career as a registered nurse and then transitioning into um, your identity with vision loss and all of these different things. You really let us in on all of that. You've been super uh, sharing about yourself. And this part of it, like this part of the journey about volunteering, we often talk about volunteering being very satisfying, um, very rewarding. And I wanted to ask you if there was something about it that was surprising for you in the the rewards category, right? Like when you started this journey on raising kindness or even the exploration of this idea, um, did any part of the rewarding factor surprise you? A hundred percent. I almost feel a little bit guilty in that how much I have personally got out of doing the volunteer component. I mean, just the giving back um, to each of these organizations, learning about the organizations, and then seeing my son and his friend grow as well as they have interacted and learned about these different groups that we've interacted with. It's just been so meaningful to me. And I keep saying to Bennett, I said, like, this is recorded and documented. Like, you can watch this, and hopefully this is many years down the way, but mm-hmm. you can watch this with your family and show them what we did. And I, so I just feel like I'm getting so much out of it that I feel almost borderline guilty. And I hope that other people are getting stuff from it as well. And, you know, I hear positive feedback from the organizations that we've, you know, met with, networked with, and volunteered at as well. So it is really encouraging, but um, it's amazing how good you feel when you walk away and how long that good feeling lingers. Yes, and how it catapults you into wanting to do more things like it, right? Which is why this is such a fantastic series because it's not just the one place or the one group of people um, or population. There are so many causes and so many different things that you're embarking on. Uh, and And how about volunteering versus getting paid um as i said your your transition from uh the different kinds of work that you did to now and then talking about this rewarding factor and how good you feel doing volunteer work it's meaningful in so many ways because it's almost like repurposing your energy right something you used to work at and then had to slowly let go of and maybe even lose i'm not sure how you word it in your own life um and then channeling that in some other way Absolutely. And I love the beauty of this podcast and these volunteer opportunities is that exactly what you said, we're not just sticking with one organization and continuing to explore it. We're jumping into so many different organizations, so many different volunteer opportunities that Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, you know, it's, I've had such an opportunity to learn and grow, which is different than a defined pay job. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a defined paying job as a registered nurse, for example, when I was doing the immunization file, I learned a lot about immunization and every angle and aspect that went into it, but um, which is a totally different experience. Um, Amazing in its own way. But with this volunteer podcast, it's kind of looking at so many different organizations and highlighting all the amazing work that's going on within our communities. Um, I would be, I, I would be leaving something out if I didn't mention, you know, as somebody who has vision loss, there is some anxiety, some hesitations that goes into 
going to a new environment, right? Starting something new, volunteering with something brand new. So, um, you know, I kind of dipped my toe in, for example, with episode one with the CNIB. (laughs) Why? Because I was nervous and I do have a little level of nervousness going into all of these because you have to, you know, we kind of explain sort of your quote unquote needs and you're not entirely sure the layout of their building and how people are going to communicate with you and how receptive people are going to be and, you know, how you're going to have to educate them as well. But it's been such a phenomenal opportunity and to see even, um, obviously Bennett's fairly used to working with me with my vision loss, right? He's quite in tune with, you know, anticipating what I'm going to need and, and, you know, making quick adjustments on the fly, but watching how his friends have learned as well that, yeah, I'm Bennett's mom. I'm Becky. I do have vision loss, but we can do this. Oh, here, the fork is here or the spoon is here. Mm. Like when we're out making muffins, right? Like they're starting to use their words in a different way um, as the episodes are progressing. So it's so exciting to see that growth as well. I was very curious about that, Becky, on a, on a personal level. I have a brother who's eight years younger than me. And so when I was a teenager, I would drag him as as he would put it uh everywhere and whether that be just hanging out with me and other friends who have blindness or low vision or uh you know going to find places going out to eat whatever it may be he was my person and I'm not sure how this dynamic started to be quite honest with you but as I got older I started to understand the impact that had on him as a person and he would you know vocalize that also but just the like you said, the learning, the growing, the development, the understanding of what advocacy looks like as you do it. And then as they're picking it up and showing you literally as they describe things or point out things that um, they're helping you accommodate also. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I was very, very curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, Again, I say that I started with the CNIB for selfish reasons, but I also did it to kind of set the tone from the beginning with the kids to normalize things that, um, yeah. so for those who haven't had an opportunity to join in, um, with watching episode one, we went to the CNIB kids camp. So, um, Bennett and his friend, um, Rylan were with us and they're both 12 year old boys, um, very sports minded and active and stuff. And so they were interacting now with blind and visually impaired children that were peers of their age, their same age. And so mm-hmm. it went so awesome to see them. Like they were a little nervous when they went in at first. And by the end, they were like, you couldn't really tell. Well, I couldn't tell listening really which one was which really, because they were just playing like full on kids. And so I think that really was a smart move and that it normalized things and that, yeah, those kids had vision loss and vision challenges similar to what I'm experiencing. But at the end of the day, they're just kids. And I think that that was a really interesting takeaway for them. That's lovely. And I'm curious, uh, and we don't want to spend too much more time on this because I have other things to question you about, but <laughs> are you, are they there when you disclose? Or are there moments when they're there when you talk about your disability um, outright to somebody or explain accommodation to staff or other people around? 
Yep, totally. I don't hide anything okay. at all because I think it's important for them to learn that as well. And I try to go about it all in a positive manner, of course. So, um, and really, you know, knock on wood so far, we've had nothing but really positive uh, feedback from the organizations and the people who have been representing them. Um, and people are just like, holy. And I think we're opening eyes as well as we're doing this to highlight, yes, young kids are here doing this, but guess what? I am somebody who has got very minimal amount of remaining eyesight and um, you know, not to spoiler alert anything, but I can plant a plant just like anybody else. I Mm. listened to the instructions and I went by feel and the lady was like, Holy, I didn't even think that, you know, this was a thing. And she's like, that was amazing. (laughs) And I think that she walked away from a different perspective as well, which is all about education in a different type of way. Do you have, in the last couple seconds we have, do you have a favorite moment, whether it be when you're filming, when you're taping, uh, or when you're rewatching, re-listening back to an episode? Is there something that has become, like, I love this part about raising kindness? Um, I have to say, when I get that first draft back, to have a look at it, because it's always something different that I hadn't noticed before, but my very favorite thing I think to this date is the kindness challenge that the kids put forth to try to encourage others to participate and get involved in each episode. So it's a unique challenge that they put forward that is tailored to that episode that kind of goes along with the theme that we've been, you know, doing or discussing or learning about ourselves to try to get people to dip their toe in there and do a little bit of kindness and hopefully we can spread kindness all over the the country in uh, various ways. So I have to say that for me is one of my most prideful moments. That's amazing. Becky, thank you so much. It's lovely to uh, listen or to experience the podcast, but it's even better to talk to you directly about it to know how much value you have in hosting this and creating the show. Sincerely appreciate your time and we will talk to you soon. Sounds fabulous. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Becky Zarr is the host of Raising Kindness, a podcast including her son and his friend. Most recent episode, the Royal Canadian Legion is out, so you can check it out on your favorite podcast platform or as a video podcast on YouTube. Also join us on Mondays for more AMI highlights. In the next hour, we have our guide dog and service animal report with Devin Wilkins. We also have Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin talking about measures to abolish slavery in Canada and the United States. We're still talking about this in 2022. But up next after the break, we have community reporter Carol Yapel giving us some holiday highlights. We'll be right back. Lots of great podcasts, always available on AMI uh, with Raising Cuttings. We have tons of other podcasts that you can check out. I'll give you a list of them later of recent podcasts being released this week, uh, or new episodes, I should say. But also, an FYI that you can go and check out Kelly and Company on your favorite podcast platform. If you missed anything or you want to share a particular segment, we do provide segments as their own podcast episodes. So you can do that. Pick your favorite pick your favorite podcast platform. I'm Ramia Amuddin here with Margaret Welton, and welcome to the Monday edition of Kelly and Company. All right, and it's now time to check in with one of our community reporters. And today we're checking in with Carol Yapel from Vancouver, British Columbia. 
Carol, good afternoon. I understand you want to start talking about the Lunier Festival. So why don't we start there and you can tell us all about that. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Um, the Lumiere Festival is a downtown Vancouver event starting on November 17 and going to the 27th. And you may ask, well, what is Lumiere? And so I looked it up, and the definition is outdoor spectacle with sound and light. And actually, that's exactly what they're doing. They're having um, at different plazas all over downtown parades, flamenco dancers, violinists, all coming together with light. So there are beacons that are in these neighborhoods that indicate where the festival is occurring, and one of them is actually taking place underneath a suspended chandelier under the Granville Street Bridge. But all of them have music, all of them have light, and... I don't know about you, but when we get into this season of the year, having a lot of light around is a really cool thing for me. I've never had any anyway, light before. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that at this time of year, I think that the intention of this festival is to sort of redefine going into winter by having mm-hmm. a community building event that brings people together. It starts at 4.30 every day and goes until 7 p.m. So it's just when it's getting dark that they bring the light out. So I think it's a really nice idea of, you know, getting us into this season and getting us outdoors in a way that we can enjoy music together with a little bit of light. Well, and that's true. And you know what? I mean, even with going out, it's still, even though people have started doing it again, it's still relatively new and I don't know, this year people seem to, to be more excited about it in a sentimental way. So I think the light and the, you know, the festival you're describing there really pulls it all together, Carol. Yeah, I think you're right, Margaret, in terms of, you know, pent-up demand after COVID. To be together with people and to hear music, I think a lot of people were reluctant to go into indoor spaces and do that. But this is drawing on dozens of, of different Vancouver local musical artists and visual artists um, and dancers to be together outside and kind of bring back that community sentimental feeling that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. After uh, years of isolation, specifically around these colder months, it does feel very, very important and valuable to have um, all of us kind of reach out for something like this where we may not feel like it in the beginning, but uh, you're you're definitely gaining some good energy by being joined by others and celebrating art. Carol, we're going to put the um, information for the Lumiere Festival up on our blog, ami.ca slash kellyco, along with the rest of your community report. And you want to talk about November being Financial Literacy Month, um, and there's some virtual workshops going on. Yeah, that's right. I like to, in my sort of plan of these broadcasts, I like to think of something that's outdoors, something that's online, and something that's indoors, a little bit of variety. Mm -hmm. So this is the online uh, offering. The Vancouver Public Library is bringing attention to Financial Literacy Month, and they're doing so by joining with a couple of different organizations, Disability Alliance BC and Family Services of Greater Vancouver, to host these one-hour 
uh, Zoom calls where I think one of them uses Teams to just help people get a handle on what is going on with this crazy financial time that we're in. Um, I'm sure you've been feeling it. I've been feeling it. And so these workshops are designed to help people get a handle on how to handle their finances. And um, this is November 16th to 22nd, various days. One of them has to do with understanding budgeting. Um, another one is specifically about our real relationship with money and, and attitudes about money. And the last one on the 22nd discusses the disability tax credit, how to apply, what it means, and how to get more information about all of that. So for these, pre-registration is required, and you can call the Vancouver Public Library. That's what I did at 604-331-3603. And I just told the person who answered, I want to register for some financial literacy workshops. What do you have? And they told me about these, these uh, online seminars. Which one of these stands out to you, Carol, like in terms of timeliness or personal curiosity or what you think is really important for us to be highlighting um, for finance talk? Well, I myself already have applied for my disability tax credit. So if people mm -hmm. haven't done that, I think doing that is really, really significant. That's on the 22nd. Um, I think the interesting one for me is on the 21st having to do with our relationship to money, our attitudes. Like how do you budget and how do you decide what you're going to emphasize once you've taken care of, you know, your standard expenses? And, and how do you even think about what are your standard expenses, right? I know we all think, oh, this, this is a fixed expense. But then there are things that may be very important to you that you want to emphasize. So I think having that conversation with a professional is probably very helpful when, when you're really feeling the pinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of uh, q and I'm assuming, will happen. I mean, we live in a world where you can really just headline whatever uh, topic you want to learn on. But uh, with money, deep dive is very important. And plus, like when you think think about what you just mentioned, the relationship with money, um, that kind of thing is a, is a lifelong understanding and lifelong learning curve, right? Where you come from and how your parents dealt with money and potentially, you know, the, the kind of uh, work that you've generationally been exposed to and, and how that sits with you in terms of money. So there's so much to dissect. Uh, and I think that these workshops are going to give some some great context to those questions. I think you're quite right. It is a lifelong study, and, and yet we can always, especially when the pressure is on, we, we tend to learn faster when we need to. <laughs> <laughs> when we're seeing it on our bills, grocery bills for inflation, yeah, for sure. But to me, we're always seeming to hear so many different things, you know. Some people say, oh, no, this, the prices are coming down. Others say, no, 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 the economy is still heating up. We need to still put rates up. Carol, this mm -hmm. one sounds pretty uh, unique. What, what about this mouthpiece event? What is that all about? Well, this is the quirky one for sure. This is the indoor event, and it takes place at the New Media Gallery, which is in New Westminster. New Westminster is just a SkyTrain ride away from Vancouver, 
uh, and it happens to be where the CNIB has recently moved. So I went out there, and I found this gallery. This is um, a sound installation. What does that mean? It means there are sculptures that are making sound. It's not really music, but it's more like sound art. And the really interesting thing about it is it has to do with how AI and technology are sort of affecting our lives. So that's really interesting. And the other really nice thing about it is that everybody who comes, not only if you're blind or partially sighted, gets a private personalized tour by one of the curators. So I know that we've all been to audio described you know, films or shows or art galleries, but this whole installation is meant to be sort of guided by the people who put it together. And they're very knowledgeable, and they tell you about how these very complicated sound designs have been created by the artists. And it gives a context to move through, and you also feel really safe, you know, you're you're being guided, you're being brought into the artistic process, and the sound itself is quite fascinating. What about the room, like, with all these puppets yes. and that in it? Like, you know, with the, with the sculptures and the, and the puppets and that in it. Can you talk a little oh, bit yeah, about one that? Oh, yeah, one of them called Bad Mantras has to, they have Muppets in there that are, they're pink Muppets hanging off of the wall, and it's a 39-minute sound loop where these Muppets are sort of playing and singing and humming. And then it connects to another room where there's a rock band sort of riffing on what the Muppets are doing. It's quite unique. It sounds like it. <laughs> it sounds like it. And can you maybe – were there other um... – puppets or any type of things in there or were these glass heads and the puppets are they all the same muppets that you're talking about no they're three very separate artworks so okay the the muppets which is called bad mantras is its own work of art right. and another work of art is called ai bots and these are the glass-headed sculptures that are all together in a room and their sound is more of a whisper and oh. they're whispering these words to sort of each other, and you can hear the whole thing, kind of like a, an odd choir. It's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit like hearing different voices from a choir, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is called Prayer. Okay, Carol, Car yeah. Carol unfortunately, we're going to have to stop you there because we've run right out of time. But I'd like okay. to thank you for taking the time, and we'll talk to you next month. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Bye-bye. That was Carol Yapel from Vancouver, British Columbia with her community report. And remember, you can always check the ami.ca slash blog for more information. After the break, we're checking in with Devin Wilkins and she has our monthly service animal and guide dog report. Lots on the docket there. We'll be right back on Kelly and Company. Like I said, lots of great 
podcast our way this week. Um, tomorrow, which is Tuesday, there's a new Sean of the Shed episode. He's demonstrating, Sean Priest, that is, is demonstrating smart plugs by Amazon. That's a pretty big in-demand thing for you to check out. Uh, this is available on audio as well as video podcast. And on Wednesday, Kitchen Confession drops a new episode with Mary Mammoliti. The episode is called Anatomy of a Beer. That's going to be yum. Yum, 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 yummy. Wednesday also has Connecting Disability. And Thursday, Tripping on Air with Ardra Shepard and Alec Kazau. That is the holiday gift edition. This is available on video podcast on YouTube as well as an audio podcast on AMI-audio. Available on your favorite podcast platform. Alrighty, let's get into some more conversations here on Kelly and Company with myself, Ramya Amuthan, and Margaret Weldon. And now it's time for our guide dog and service animal report with Devin Wilkins. And we're going to start here, Devin, if it's okay Each month, um, the Assistance Dogs International is launching a digital ID. Can you talk about that? Uh, Yes, um, definitely. Uh, Hi to both of you. Um, Mm. uh, ADI has been around for ages, uh, and um, it is Assistance Dogs International, and it serves 135 countries. And uh, including Canada, many of the schools here in Canada, regardless of whether they're service dog training centers or guide dog training centers, uh, are accredited by ADI. And um, so this uh, ID app uh, is uh, certainly a new thing. Uh, It can be stored on any mobile device and contains photo ID and contact details of the handler, uh, certified assistance dog public access license number, um, any microchip details, and accredited training organization as well. So information about the training center that the dog came from. Um, In addition to fraud reduction, it will be great for uh, people with limited hand use, like uh, Australia's uh, renowned musician, Tim McCallum. Now, on the uh, other side of the argument or of the coin, I have heard people say that it won't be so good if the the handler isn't uh, terribly familiar with technology. So I guess there are two sides to every uh, argument there. And uh, the card, uh, the ID card, um, digital digital ID card, is being uh, trialed in... Australia, uh, as well as by the clients of the uh, Assistance Dogs Australia, um, the American Vet Dogs, and Guide Dogs for the Blind Foundation, and by the um, Assistance Dog uh, Training Center 
in Germany um, with the uh, goal of rolling out uh, the uh, digital ID card to everybody by the uh, end of the year. And uh, it's also receiving great reviews from airlines and other service providers. So it sounds like uh, it uh, is fairly promising. This is something, um, yeah, it's a very big part of this uh, fight and challenge, like struggle, as you're mentioning, Devin, um, against, you know, false identification and and just trying to streamline how the the training and um, uh, embracing of service animals works, right? Because we're trying to get people to understand that this is serious work. Like there's a lot that goes into it. So uh, there's, I think, many, many organizations and individuals have a lot of issues with this. So do you think that this is moving in the right direction? I do think so, yes. Uh, I don't know how else you can uh, separate the sheep from the goats, uh, if you can put it that way. Um, There has to be a way of determining which dog is a a well-trained guide or service dog and uh, which one isn't uh, before the bad behavior comes out. Because, you know, a lot of people have been injured by untrained uh, so-called service dogs and that sort of thing. And we just can't have that kind of thing happening. So if, uh, if there's a digital way of doing it, uh, I, I think it's a, a good idea. It will be difficult for those of us, and I will include myself, that have um, technical issues with regard to operating apps and that sort of thing. But I think it'll be something that we'll have to try to get used to um, yeah. so that... Uh, we won't be hindered as we travel uh, on our way to to various events and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and still work in progress for the system to be implemented, right? So I'm curious as to how um, many people and organizations need to participate to make this the trusted source of understanding, you know, real guide dogs, real service animals and things like that. It'll be interesting to follow the the progress. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll keep us posted. Can you tell us about the Guide Dogs Access in Canada project? This is a research recruitment opportunity. Yeah, I mentioned it uh, a few months ago. CNIB's research team has uh, embarked on a year-long study to um, determine access barriers to uh, guide dogs and their handlers here in Canada. And the next phase is uh, focus groups, 90-minute focus groups for handlers uh, as 
as well as businesses and uh, government service providers. Um, and the um, uh, focus groups are going to be held on Zoom, and participants will be compensated with um, a $50 Amazon uh, gift certificate or gift card. And uh, right at the, the moment, um, November 17th is the next one uh, that has been scheduled, um, but there will be more dates set up later. So all you have to do okay. is contact Peter Field at CNIB, peter.field at CNIB.ca, which will be on the uh, Kelly and Company blog. Yes. And Devin, I'm just, sure they would appreciate oh, the information and participate. Yeah. Yes, Margaret. Go ahead, Margaret. Devin, yeah, just quickly, can you tell us, um, apparently Air Canada apologized to a woman for not allowing her guide dog on the flight. Can you explain that story? Yeah. Uh, so uh, 49-year-old uh, Dina Wainwright had to uh, take a train from Windsor uh, to uh, uh, Detroit and then cross the uh, border in a cab and fly to Minneapolis, uh, costing her $2,000. Apparently what happened was when she booked her flight in uh, Minneapolis because she lives and uh, works there, and she wanted to come home for her birthday. She is uh, a Canadian, uh, but she works in the States. And uh, she, uh, when they asked her in Minneapolis whether uh, she had the forms filled out uh, and she said no, they said, now I don't know whether it was Air Canada or, or whether, I think the uh, airline that does Air Canada flights in the States is United, but it it wasn't mentioned in the newspaper article. Uh, anyway, they told her, oh, that, that's okay. So they let her come with her uh, dog. And I'll say I'm not sure whether they, uh, Lilo, uh, who is a five-year-old black lab, um, is a guide dog or a service dog. Um, Dina is blind. But I believe from the article that she uses a wheelchair as well. So anyway, um, they let the, the dog lie at uh, Dina's feet on the way to Toronto. But when she and her uh, um, when she and her dog went to return to Minneapolis. She was told by uh, Air Canada officials that she couldn't have her dog with her in the cabin because she didn't have the forms uh, filled out. Uh, so, and apparently the staff at Air Canada further inflamed 
the situation by by talking to uh, Dina's daughter rather than her, uh, which uh, definitely didn't go over well. And um, uh, Dina is vowing never to fly with the Air Canada again. Um, Larissa Proctor, who is the manager of Guide Dog Advocacy uh, with CNIB, says that uh, she can't figure out why um, they didn't insist on the paperwork being filled out in in the States before the first leg. And uh, so the, that uh, needs to be further examined. And uh, um, they told her, I guess, Air Canada told her, that she could bring her dog with her if she either put the dog, allowed the dog to be put into the uh, cargo uh, area, or whether she had a, uh, if she had a um, uh, client card from CNIB. Well, of course, she didn't have a, a client card from CNIB. Um Okay, De Devin, that's an interesting yeah. story, but we're going to have to stop you there today, sweetie, because um, we're just about running out of time. But yeah. thank you for the good report, and we'll talk to you next month. All right. Take good care, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Devin Wilkins with our Guide Dog and Service Animal Report, and she'll be back next month with another one. In every guide dog and service animal report, I am more surprised than not if we don't have at least one story um, talking about some mishap quote of a person yeah. who was having troubles getting their guide dog on transportation. Just yeah, sad to hear it always. Never uh, stops even the with break, these times. Have, yeah, absolutely. After the break, we have Know Your Rights with Daniel McLaughlin talking about modern slavery, more thought-provoking conversations, that is, on Kelly and Company. We'll be back. Welcome back to Kelly and Company. It's a Monday afternoon and we have a, a couple more great things coming your way. Some conversations that we all must pay very close attention to. Want to let you know that on AMI-audio, everything repeats every eight hours. So we have that rotation going on, which means the next repeat of Kelly and Company, if you want to check it out, is at 10 p.m. Eastern time tonight and then 6 a.m. Eastern after that. Two more repeats of Kelly and Company, and that pertains to all our shows on AMI-audio, eight-hour rotations. I'm Ramia Amudin here with Margaret Weldon, and on Mondays we have these very significant conversations about our rights with Danielle McLaughlin. We call it Know Your Rights. And Danielle, as we have you here, we uh, want to talk about the U.S. elections. For anyone who was watching uh, last week, it was quite a surprise to find that a measure to abolish slavery was in the ballot for uh, in four states. So we must ask you, Danielle, Hasn't slavery been illegal for a very long time now, or are we missing something very big here? 
You know, I have to say, when I first saw that it was on the ballot in these four states, actually it was five, one of them just messed up, I thought, wait okay. a minute, <laughs> you know? It, in, in 1777, that's 1777, Vermont became the first state uh, in the Union where the issue was on a ballot, and they successfully abolished slavery. Uh, a little later than that, um, the there was an amendment to the U.S. Constitution, Amendment 13, which which abolished slavery except for punishment. Now, in Canada, we have only had a, an act, and now, you know, in, in the olden days, as they like to say, um, our uh, law against slavery was actually passed by the British Parliament, and that was in 1793, so slightly after Vermont. Um, but in Canada, it was it became illegal in 1793 to import slaves. So, um, in other words, it didn't actually make slavery itself, uh, it didn't actually abolish slavery itself. So that act in 1793 didn't free anybody. It just said from then on, you could not uh, import slaves, and it freed the children of uh, people who were already enslaved when they reached the age of 25. So, I mean... You start scratching your head and you're thinking, wait a minute, my watch says it's 2022. Uh, what's going on here? Well, what happened was uh, that these states in the United States realized that slavery was really um, still happening in the prison industrial complex. So, you know, there there was a time when slaves had to be freed in the United States. And you may have noticed that um, if you if you look at prison populations, both here and in the United States, they are racialized and indigenous people way out of proportion to their presence mm -hmm. in the community altogether. So what happened was people would be arrested uh, after slavery became illegal in the United States on extremely trivial grounds. And then they would be sent to forced labor. So, yes, they could, you know, they weren't uh, slaves of a particular slave owner. They were slaves owned by the state. Um, and that was a way of maintaining slavery. And in fact, the United States has continued to use forced labor in the prisons. Um, and it's really uh, a great deal if you think about it you know if you if you could produce or manufacture something and not pay the workforce you know imagine what a benefit you uh, an, a, a, you would derive from that particular uh, way of doing business well these four states said no you can't do that that should be against the law um Lots of people thought it was already against the law. And some of them have got around this whole issue saying, well, we don't exactly force people to do labor. It's an exchange. So, you know, if or... you, uh, yeah, if you do the labor that you are required to do as a condition of your punishment, um, we won't send you to solitary confinement or we will make sure that you are paid 
a few cents, and I'm, this is quite literally what people are being paid. Um, in Canada, you can make uh, something like you know six dollars a day for working a, a you know a full day, uh, and and then the question again is, well, who benefits from this? And again, we have to look at who's incarcerated, and then who benefits from the labor, which you can call forced or you can call something else, but it, you know, when, when you're, when you have two choices, one is to do something that, um, you know, the authorities tell you to do and the other is to be penalized. Um, away. that's not mm-hmm. much of a choice, right? So you can see that, that these, these states started looking around and saying, um, you know, we, we do have basic human rights here. One of the issues, and I think we've discussed this before on Kelly and Company, is that people aren't always aware that even people serving time in prison have rights. You know, they they, right. they are subject to limitations on their rights as um, the as their sentences require. But for example, they cannot be subject to cruel and unusual punishment. Um, they cannot be starved. They have to be provided with the necessities of life. Well, if the only way you can get hold of soap or toothpaste or um, a warm enough coat is by working um, and making a, you know a few dollars a day and then saving that up to buy those items, which, by the way, are more expensive when they're sold by the commissary in the prison than they would be at your corner store, um, we've got a real issue happening here. And we have to ask ourselves what benefit is being derived and who is deriving the benefit of this, this kind of labor. It's a very difficult question. And again, it's a question about uh, racism um, as, as it is practiced in, in, you know, in, in prison. Some people have said, well, you know, we didn't really abolish slavery. We just hid it. You know, we, we made it less visible. On different ways yeah. to channel it, if you will. Yeah. That's right. And that's why and I'm so curious, these... Danielle. I mean, aside from these yeah. four states saying what they did, uh, do we in Canada utilize, like, th- this labor that you're talking about, forced labor in prison and all these other means, um, and especially the demographic, as you mentioned, uh, how many people, uh, what kinds of people we see majority in prison, do you find that very similar to the United States? Well, we there are certainly many similarities. I don't think, mm-hmm. I think that th- there's an organization called CORCAN, which is Corrections Canada. And it's kind of the business end of, of, um, of things. So it is operated by government. In the United States, uh, industry can farm out production to prison labor. So, you know, let's say that you have a, uh, you know, a business that makes widgets and minimum wage in your state is $15 an hour. You know, how much better would it be for your widget manufacturing manufacturing if you could just pay employees, say, two or three cents an hour? You can see mm-hmm. that there's a, there's a real benefit there. Um, does it benefit the uh, I hesitate to call these people employees. The, the, you know the incarcerated people. There's an argument about that. Some uh, people who have been incarcerated say 
the last thing they want to do is sit around and do nothing. It's extremely depressing. Um, and it, you know, and you want to feel that if you have to be there, you should be able to use your time in a way that, that has some benefit. So, Given an option, most incarcerated people, not all, but most incarcerated people would opt for either employment or education of some kind or some kind of program that would use their time in a positive or or productive way. Um, And in Canada, people are given an allowance, and the allowance is sort of allowance that many of us got in grade three, but it does help people with the necessities that they may or may not be provided by the prison system itself. For example, uh, telephone calls. Um, You know, if you have a cell phone, you can use WhatsApp or you can use Skype and you can make calls basically for free, Um, you know, so long as you you have that phone and and, and whatever you need to, to operate it. Well, they're still using pay phones in prisons. And so if you want to Mm -hmm. stay in touch with your family, uh, it's going to cost you something. Um, Or it will cost your family something because you can make a collect call and collect calls. I don't know if you, have you ever made a collect call, Ramia? No. (laughs) I don't know. How expensive do those get? Yeah. They're they're rather interesting to to make. Yeah. yeah, That's right. And, and, and these days they're quite, you know, it's quite a rigmarole. But if you are incarcerated, that may be how you have to keep in touch with your lawyer or your family or, yeah. you know, people on, on the outside and you need money to do it. So you might well want to, to even though the, the pay is outrageous, um, you know, you may need to do that because you don't have another option. Uh, so there there are many questions to be asked. If as has happened in many states, you are uh, working for no money. Um, I think we call that slavery. Um, and that's pretty much what these so, four states and many more will will be setting. Uh, it, it, the, the difference between Canada and the United States in this regard, in Canada, the criminal code is federal. So if it's a crime in Ontario, it's a crime in Saskatchewan. Um, that's not true in the United States. There, uh, the criminal codes right. are state by state. So if they abolish slavery in Vermont, they haven't abolished slavery in Florida. Um, you know, even though there is the, you know, the Amendment 13, which abolishes slavery, th- some of those states still retain the exception for punishment. Um, and this is this is something that, you know, I, I was very shocked to learn because I simply assumed that, you know, when they abolished slavery, they abolished slavery. But um, you have to ask a lot of questions about who's using it and where is it being used and who is being forced to perform um, slave labor in the United States. I don't think you could make the same argument that slave labor is being used in Canada. But when you look up um, the Canadian government's attitude towards forced labor, um, you will see that it deals almost entirely with the manufacturer of of goods uh, overseas. So, you know, we have provisions which will prevent um, companies from hiring, uh, you know, or for, for having uh, their their widgets manufactured in countries that that employ slave labor, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or or child labor, but you know, 
I can't answer the question as to how well is that observed. There are countries um, abroad which still um, maintain active slavery, uh, some in Africa, uh, you know, some in the East. Um, but, you know, we as Canadians like to think of ourselves as being very progressive and that we would never yeah. um, buy something that was, uh, you know, manufactured using slaves. I'm not so sure we aren't doing that. I, I do know yeah, that our I government has so. at least spoken. It, it's spoken out a, against it. How well is that checked? Don't know. Um, but the thing well, about we, we always labor, learn so much, Danielle, after the fact, right? After it's been around for right. so long. It, it's similar that's to the right. conversation we're having right now. You know, it's going on forever. And yet, how aware are we um, until something major like this comes out and you're you're backtracking and going, wait, but I thought dot, dot, dot. So, yeah. uh, yes, going, you were going to say something about prison labor. Well, I was going to say that people don't always get to choose what kind of labor they 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 can do so you know the 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 statements made by by Corcan are that you know people will learn a skill prisoners will learn a skill they will become more employable when they leave prison and you know virtually everybody who is in prison leaves at some point so they you know that that it will benefit even though they're only making you know cents on the dollar um they they will derive a benefit in in the future but there are people who are saying um I've never been, say, interested in the textile industry. I, you know, I would be interested in automotive manufacture, but that's not available where I'm incarcerated. So, you know, I've been put to uh, removing the hoods off uh, winter coats, um, and that's not something that I can see being particularly useful in my future, but uh, that's the only thing I've been offered. And my other option is to... um, not be allowed any physical exercise and to stay in my cell all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when people say, well, we've given people a choice, you know, when, when the authorities say people have been given a choice, you have to look closely at what is that choice? Is it a choice between a viable option, a, you know, a beneficial option and something absolutely terrible? Um, so, you know, the, these are the kinds of questions that w- we should be asking. I know that um, prison advocates are asking these kinds of questions in Canada, uh, in, in the States as well. But when you see something as, to me anyway, shocking as the abolition of yes. slavery on, on a ballot in 2022, you have to start saying, well, let's look into this a little more carefully. What is going on? And you know, what can we do here if it's going on here? And what can um, the rest of the United States do to ensure that that slavery is actually abolished, that it is not mm-hmm. seen as a reasonable way of, of punishing somebody to the benefit of a corporation or to, or to the benefit of, of an employer who has found a nifty way of getting out of paying exactly. a living wage? Well, and, and you've said it right there. At the end of the day, it still feels like punishment to me, not not meaningful employment. Danielle, thank you so much, yeah. uh, so much to, to weigh and, and think about. Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights, which you can catch Mondays on Kelly and Company today, talking about measures to end slavery in the U.S. and in Canada in 2022.
after the break. Let's find out what's coming up on Nautilus Brown tomorrow. That's Tuesday, as well as tomorrow afternoon on Kelly and Company. We'll be back. This is Kelly and Company, and we're just getting ready to wrap up here. Margaret Weldon and myself, Ramia Amuthan. We do want to send you off with some highlights for podcast listening, though. And uh, there were a couple great conversations today. I am stuck, Margaret, with this notion of abolishing slavery and uh, all the different details that we talked about with Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights about what slavery is in 2022 and um, how much we are accrediting to actually being slavery, categorizing it as slavery, or if we're saying, no, it's not, it, it, it meets the rules of, you know, paying people for labor. But anyway, there's a lot of nuances to what she talked about. Um, you can check out that conversation by visiting your favorite podcast platform. Any other ones, Margaret, that you believe people can check out or should check uh, out? I, I think, well, I, I think they should check them out, all, all of them out personally. But I, I think mm-hmm. maybe the one with Michael Babcock today with the um, Mac computer and, you know, all the different um, features and options and um, even that uh, um desk that that standing desk of his the button story you know where he where he forgets uh look you know where he can't find the up and down one and he hits something by accident i can certainly relate to that so yeah mm-hmm. i'd say that segment plus your slavery one too i think is yeah are the two top today yeah definitely you know with monday monday lineups here on kelly and company there's always something to leave with um in terms of just a deeper thought process right on our sports segment with Brock Richardson he was talking about um Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets and what's going on there with Kyrie having to kind of apologize and meet all these conditions to be brought back after his suspension and he hasn't even apologized yet to be uh for being associated with this movie but on top of all that they want him to donate money and support um anti-hate crime organizations and all these different things and really the question is like does this even make sense is he should he be forced to do all these things um is it absolutely necessary for him to take part in this but yet again he's representing an organization a big one a really important one for his career so you know it's just got a trickle effect and a ripple effect for sure yep all these podcasts uh options are great so check them out on your own time on demand Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv, you can check out Now with Dave Brown. And we get a preview of that show the day before. So Paul Daniel, one of the producers, is here to join us and give us that preview. Hey, Paul. Hey, Ramya. On tomorrow's show, the Ontario Disability Employment Network is hosting the Rethinking Disability Conference this week. Alex Smythe will share some highlights from the conference. Nelson Rigo from Coolblind Tech will tell us how to schedule an email on your I- on your iPhone with iOS 16 and, of course, Tuesday would never be Tuesday if uh, we didn't have our news quiz. So Dave Brown will be the MC for tomorrow's news quiz with Karen McGee, Ryan Del Hanty, and Alex Smythe fighting for the coveted crown of who knows the current events best. I think that's a long title for a, for a, for a champion. We, we, we are with, with the work on that in, in production, but oh. that's the idea. That's a long title. We have to get a little more, a little more sharper, you know? It'll get abbreviated as you go and, and can't remember. Remember the- <laughs> awesome, Paul. Looking forward to the show. Thank you so much.
Take care. Paul Daniel, one of the producers on Now with Dave Brown. I'm curious about all these different ways to automate tasks on iOS and Windows and Google and all all the platforms. Uh, they're definitely giving us those options. So check them out tomorrow. Cool Blind Tech. All right, Margaret, it was really, really fun hanging out with you today and last Friday having these shows with you. Kelly is back tomorrow, but uh, you'll be back also later on, you know, for In the No segments and more co-hosting. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thanks. It was lots of fun. Have a good night. Have a good show, everybody. Thank you. Yes, it was lots of fun. Like I said, Kelly McDonald will be back for tomorrow's episode of Kelly and Company, 2 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. We have Ask a Veterinarian with Dr. Danielle Jeanne She's taking us on a historical tour in honor of the veterinary uh, college's special anniversary. Sorry, the Ontario Veterinary College. That's going to be interesting. Frances Wong, she's going to tell us some tips for smoother recovery. If you're sick right now or you think you might get sick, it's seasonal anyway for flu and cold, so uh, take care, take some notes on that segment. We're also checking in with Dr. Larissa Moniz, Director of Research and Mission Programs at Fighting Blindness Canada. And this conversation is going to be about Eye on the Cure. This is a vision research competition. It's very, very interesting. We're also te- checking in with content development specialist Jim Crisco. He's joining us on the Voices segment to talk about some passions. All that and more on tomorrow's edition of Kelly and Company. Tune in at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Till then, have a great rest of your Monday night. fabulous that we talked about buying winter boots the other day with wellness contributor Francis Wong because I broke my winter boots and I don't even really know if they technically qualify as winter boots. They were definitely just rubber rain boots that I was insulating myself and using them all through the winter. And I got away with it because they are, you know, knee high and quite durable, except, except that they broke. And that was... I don't even know really how it happened. But anyway, my my little toe, my baby toe must be very, very strong because I was walking down the stairs and it's uncomfortable regardless of what kind of boot you have. If it's tall, it's uncomfortable doing stairs in boots. You know it. I know it. And I was walking not up the stairs, but down the stairs and I felt my little toe break my boot I felt it literally and then to confirm when I got to the bottom of the stairs I checked and lo and behold there's a giant hole (laughs) in that spot in my boot so I mean all this to say really now I have to buy a new boot because I'm not a shopper especially not a shoe shopper but thankfully going back to my original point Francis Wong gave us some wonderful tips. So I will go through those tips and find myself a nice winter boot for this year. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.